It's a joy to, to kind of come home and visit and uh, share the word with you. Uh, every morning when I wake up, uh, my kids usually ask what day it is and what we're going to do. And so I told them it's Sunday, and they know that that means going to church. And so I'd explain to them we're going to go to a different church than we normally go to. And we're going to the church by the playground. And they said, yay! They love going to the playground back there. And I said, you know, it's, it's the big Anglican formal traditional church. And then Michael opens with that one song and gets everybody <laughs> dancing. And, um, and I, I, I thought that was so great. Good job, buddy. So good. So it, um, if that's what Anglican is, sign me up. I mean, that's pretty awesome. Uh, since I have the mic, before we, uh, <laughs> before we get in, um, I want to ask you to do something. And uh, Matt probably kill me. Um, so I won't be back here. This will be my last time with you. But, um, you know, Matt's heading out next week to go to Colorado to help with um, a trip with a bunch of pastors. And then two weeks after that, their family's gone on vacation. So they'll be out for about three weeks. So please still come to church. But um, here's what I know about the enemy. is he's a, he's a thief. And he likes to steal. And he likes to kill. And there's nothing more that he likes to do that with is when, with our vacations, with our rest, with our joy. Surely you've been on a vacation that went wrong and didn't go as planned or there, you got sick or there's a travel delay. And so here's what I'd like to ask you to do. If you consider this place your home and if you consider um, this man your pastor, would you commit to praying for the Kessler family for the next three weeks and specifically that they would receive all the joy and rest and recharging that the Lord intends for them? Because we have an enemy and he doesn't want that. That's like a good idea. Good. Well, you came to church. I was going to ask you to pray anyway. So um, a couple of years ago, maybe two years ago, there was a young man in our church who's, um, he was new to San Antonio. He didn't grow up in San Antonio and he's He's, you know, like five foot five, really um, shy, introverted. He graduated college and was having uh, trouble finding his, his, you know, next job. So he got a, a temporary job at Target here on Austin Highway, kind of in the backyard here. And he's shy and introverted, so he doesn't like to uh, be the cashier. And so they put him out on the floor stalking or doing something. And occasionally Target gets busy and the lines start to get back. And people start, you know, getting kind of antsy. And what does the manager do? They open up some more lanes. They call some people off the floor to be temporary cashiers to get the rush through. And then they'll close those lanes and go back to what they're doing. And so uh, my buddy hated doing that. But the time came. It was busy. They call him off of the floor, like out of the toy aisle or something, to come and be a cashier. And he's just inwardly, as a shy introvert, he's just hating every single moment. And the end of the rush finally comes. And he's got one lady left to check out. And he's struggling through the small talk. And so he turns off his light, thinking most people would see my light's not on. I'm closing. Don't get in my line. So he does that. And remember, he's not from San Antonio. He's not into sports. And a very, very tall, seven-foot African-American gets in line with a huge smile. And he has no idea who he is. And he's just inwardly going, I hope he sees the light. I hope he sees the light. And he gets done checking this lady out. And this man puts his milk on the conveyor belt and steps up and pulls out his wallet. And my friend, who's clueless, says, Sir, my light's off. (laughs) 
And this, this tall man just smiles and says, oh, I'm sorry, and grabs his milk. And then from behind, uh, there's a cashier behind goes, hey, David Robinson, I'll check you out over here. <laughs> and my buddy turns around, he's like, how do you know his name? He's telling me the story, and I'm freaking out. I almost strangled him. I say, bro, you had the admiral in line with no one behind him. You check his milk and take his 250. You, you told 5-0 that your light was off? And he says, Drew, who's 5-0? Who's the admiral? You had one, one of the greatest Spurs players of all time that changed the dynasty, the direction of the franchise of God's team, the San Antonio Spurs. And, and you told him your light was off. Take your milk to another light. Just, oh my goodness. We, uh, we disciplined him, refused communion, and kicked him out of the church. So if he shows up here, just, you know, just kidding. Uh, it's a good illustration that's true to... Um, like when you're in the company of greatness, there are appropriate responses and there are inappropriate responses. And so uh, we're going to look at uh, John 12 and we see greatness walking around in sandals. We see the king of kings, the good shepherd himself is in the company of some people. And what we just read is that there's some um, appropriate responses to being in the presence of God. And there's some inappropriate responses to being in the presence of God. So we're going to look at that. You can turn to, if you want to turn to John 12, you can do that. Um, uh, Before we get to like the punchline, which most of you may know, um, I think it's really helpful to to just remember or to learn what the, uh, Matt just set his Bible down because he knew it was going to be five minutes. Uh, (laughs) There you go. Good bishop. Um, it, what's going on here? Um, I, I, and Matt pointed this out to me this week as we were studying, is since about chapter 7 or 8, there's been constant conflict with Jesus. Like everywhere he turns, everywhere he goes, there's conflict after conflict after conflict after demon-possessed person. People saying he's demon-possessed. People trying to stone him. People trying to kill, kill him. Then he escapes like he's Houdini. There's just constant conflict. And if this is a movie, you've got about 45 minutes of just constant tension where you're on the edge of your seat. Your stomach is in knots. And you're looking for a break, some comedic relief. You're looking for something. That's kind of been the flow here. Uh, of of uh, John's gospel. And then right here, the first line of it is that it's six days before the Passover. And that's huge. Not just any Passover, it's the Passover. And one of the ironies of, of the Passover is that uh, John the Baptist of Jesus says, the Lamb of God who will be slain for the forgiveness of the world. He is the Passover. Christ is our Passover. The Passover in Exodus was the shadow pointing to the substance of who Christ would be for us. You get that? It was a hint. It was like a special clue of what Jesus would do. And while Jesus is on the hill of Golgotha, dying for your sins and mine, the religious leaders come out and they're looking at their watch and they're saying, hey, can you hurry this up? Because we got some lambs to prepare for the Passover. And you're like, wait, wait, wait a minute, no. Like, the lamb is being crucified, and you're worried about breaking the legs of some thieves so that you can go out and do this other thing. And so there's like, it's the Passover, and it's six days before. 
Now, um, this week I was having coffee with some friends that we, we officiated their, their wedding ceremony a few months ago. And the husband knew how many days they had been married. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But he, like, he said, like, oh, yeah, we've been married for this amount of days. And, and they kind of smiled at each other. And I thought, how do you, dude, are you not busy? Like, what do you, how do you, how are you keeping track of it? I can, I barely know my wife's phone number. How do you know how many days you've been married? And he said, oh, well, I had this app that, you know, we counted down to the engagement. And now it's just counting the opposite direction, right? So we all have this, like Matt's thing, he knows the hours for vacation. Like somewhere in the middle of the message, he's going to go in vacation mode. Like we just, when we have these big things, Engagements, weddings, vacations, or kids leaving for college, or houses being done. We, we, we've got this countdown, right? Like you have this marker, this important date, and you know how many days is going to be there. Now think of what this would have been like for Jesus, six days out. I mean, in Genesis chapter 3, a few pages into the Bible, right after the fall, we have the Lord announcing the gospel to the serpent. And it's the very first time the gospel is in the scriptures. Uh, it's called the Proto-Evangelum for you nerds, which means the first time the gospel's there. So that was free. So three, three chapters in, the gospel, like, and he says, he's going to crush your head, referring to what Christ would do in six days. And you could argue that even before then, they had, you know, the, the, the calendar marked. And so all of history from that moment on, is aimed at what will happen in six days. Do you catch the, the monumental weight of the countdown to Golgotha? Huge deal. The biggest deal. The most significant event in human history with the resurrection. Six days. And it is so wonderful to see what Jesus does in the moments before the event. Often when I watch football or basketball or see a concert, I'm always thinking, like, what did they do before? Like, like we saw, uh, saw a U2 one time. I think, man, I wonder what Bono ate for breakfast. Like, what's a guy like that do while he's just waiting around? What's Steph Curry do right before the fight? What's he, what does Jesus do moments before? It says here he goes to a friend's house in Bethany. While everyone is making their pilgrimage towards the holy city... Jesus goes the opposite way and he goes to Bethany. So this is the setting. You just got to know this, the, 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 the pregnant moment that is here. So what, what, what do you do for God six days before he's about to die for your sins? Verse 2. They gave him a dinner. They cooked for him. I love that. How humble, how hospitable... And then you have um, a couple of responses. Um, and there's really four characters that are named from J- J- John names. And there's two of the responses to the greatness of God are not surprising. And two of the responses are surprising. The first response is Martha's response. And it says she served him. And if you know the story of Mary and Martha, that's not a surprise. Because that's what Martha does. She serves Incredibly appropriate response. Serving Jesus, an appropriate response to what God's done for you. Uh, Then there's Lazarus. And it says, Lazarus reclined with him. I really like that. Lazarus, whom he had previously raised from the dead. 
And um, he's just being with Jesus, just hanging out with Jesus. They're kicking it. I wonder what they're talking about. Incredibly appropriate response to being with Jesus. And I don't, this is complete conjecture, but I don't know if Jesus, like how, how would that be? Like he knows he's about to lay his life down in six days, but he just wants to hang out with someone who was just resurrected. And Lazarus is probably like, it's still beating. This is a mate, like... I don't stink anymore of de- like, it's, gee, and I wonder what that conversation was like between a man who was about to die and a man who was just brought back to life and they're just reclining. Great response to Jesus. And then what this passage is kind of titled after, Mary, she worships Jesus. Again, if you know the story of Mary and Martha, that's not a surprise. We know Mary is this, you know, has this wonderful emotional capacity to, to just lavishly pour out her love on, on the Lord. And then there's, um, there's Judas's response. And this is what is shocking, because at this point, if you're reading this for the first time, you have no idea that there's a phony on the inside. Now, we know that. And even people who aren't believers equate Judas with being a betrayer. But if you were reading this for the first time, and if you got this from John, you're reading the story, and you're like, oh, oh, oh. And then you read for the first time that Judas has this complaint, and he uses the poor as like the smokescreen, and he's actually a thief, and he's been stealing from the business. Shocking. Like, I wouldn't see that coming. So these are these four responses to Jesus. Um, Martha serves. Lazarus spends time and hangs out with him. Mary worships. And Lazarus complains. Um, I want to come back to Mary. Um, In, I think, verse 3, there's this line. um, That's my favorite in this whole passage. And it says, the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. I love that line. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. And and I would kind of interpret that as the house was filled with her worship. Uh, Just being in here uh, prior to, to starting worship, there was just this like sense of lightheartedness and and kind of Joking and, and laughter, and it was, it was like it took several people, mostly Brit, to like tell us to be serious so we could pray. And there was just like the church was filled with laughter and joy this morning. And then as we worship, that first song was just laughter and joy. And I, I at one point, I, I was crying, I was laughing so hard, and, and it was having so much joy in what was going on. And, and you, you get that. You, you've walked, surely you've walked into homes or churches where you, since, man, the love of God is filling this place. And, and surely you've been in some homes where you're like, whoa, what was that? There, there's something filling this place and it's not the worship of God. But I think that's a wonderful kind of application point. What, what do you fill in your home with? Like, if someone were to walk in your home, would they find it filled with the love of God? Would they find it filled with something else? I think it's a really great, if you get nothing from today, that would be an excellent question to go home and say, hey, 
I mean, like the things that try to make its way into our homes is crazy. Like I get, I get junk mail all the time for a new roof. I'm like, forward this to the church. You know, like the hailstorm was a year ago. I put Matt's address and I put it back and they forwarded it. Like there's just, my house is constantly bombarded from every medium and avenue trying to get inside my house and inside my wallet. About to sound like my grandma, but Netflix or the internet, like there's a lot of stuff that's trying to come through that modem to get in your house. And it makes a difference. It does what you watch, what you listen to, what you think about, what you fill your mind with. It makes a difference on what you fill your house with. I know I sound like my grandma, but she's right. <laughs> um, the last thing about Mary that was great was she took, she, she wasn't a cheapskate when it came to worshiping Jesus. She had, um, in the notes, I don't know if you have notes in your Bible, but um, it's, a, it's the average yearly salary worth of perfume. Now, I, I don't know what you make a year. Don't shout it out, please. But whatever you make a year, like put that number in your head. And then drive to Macy's or Nordstrom and buy that much perfume. And then drive that U-Haul truck here and wheel it here to the altar and just take each bottle and crack it open and pour it out on the carpet one after another as your act of worship. Now, if you did that, we might, you know, say, hey, there's some other building projects we could put that money towards. But that's what she's doing. A year's worth of perfume, crack the top off, dump it on some feet in an act of worship. Isn't that incredible? That's how she worships. And often I wonder how, man, how do we worship the Lord? Do we come with that same no-holds-barred mentality of, Lord, I will worship you. Whatever the cost, I will worship you. I will worship you, whatever the cost. I don't care what other people think. I don't care what it will cost me. I don't care if I'm tired. Uh, and I'm not just talking about here. I'm just talking about with your life in general, your, your life being a living act of sacrifice, a living form of worship. Uh, are we cheapskate worshipers? May we be found like Mary, given it all, not caring about what anyone thinks about, pouring it out on the feet of Jesus because he's worth it because that's the appropriate response to greatness and to do otherwise would to say, hey, Jesus, the light's off. Take your milk to the next aisle. An inappropriate response to greatness. And then it's really telling that true worship exposes the phony. I mean, we don't know that Judas is a betrayer until Jesus is extravagantly worshipped. And it is the selfless, humble worship of God that causes the phony to out himself and show his cards. I I grew up with uh, three sisters. And um, at one point, uh, my grandma lived in our house, my, my aunt and uncle... So there's my, my grandma, my, my aunt, my mom, my three sisters, and my cousin, Andrea. At one, at one point, for like six months, I lived in a house full of seven uh, women. And, and what, just what I know of those seven women, and this might not be true for everyone, but I, what I know for those seven women is they love their hair. 
like, and I'm not trying to be like, you know, I'm not trying to paint with like a broad, but what I know about the seven women in my life in early childhood was you don't touch their hair. And if they get a haircut, you don't say, <laughs> you say, it's a, it's older sister, it looks wonderful. <laughs> you just do that. Like that, that that's, that's the women that I know. And here Mary takes her hair on his feet. Just look at that contrast. Her hair, his feet. With a year's worth of perfume. That's how she worships. Oh my goodness. Does that blow any of you away? That, that this is what Mary does? And it's a prophetic act because he's about to be killed and buried and, and she is preparing his body for burials. Is there, kind of what she's doing there. So that's the, uh, the responses to greatness. So we have a slide, Dr. David, and I want to um, ask you as we, as we close and pray, 18 minutes, Man, that's a short sermon. That's good. You're welcome. <laughs> Back to spirituality. Um, I, want, I want to ask you uh, these four things. Um, when it comes to if Jesus got in your checkout line, what's your response? How are you serving him? And I don't know what that looks like for you, but how are you, how are you serving Jesus? How are you reclining with Jesus? Are you spending time with him? Are you hanging out? Are you just, are there times in which you're with Jesus where you're not asking for stuff and you're just reclining? How are you worshiping Jesus? And I, you know, you could go, how are you worshiping him with your wallet, with your time, with your calendar, with your voice? One of the things I love about Christians, we use our voice to worship him in joy, in reverence. And this is kind of the, the ouch question is, are there any unseen ways in which people don't know about in which you're betraying Jesus? I mean, no one knows that Judas is betraying him at this point. And it's incredible. It, it, it is so telling of the love and hospitality of God that he could be stealing from Jesus' enterprise, planning on betraying him, and yet Jesus allows him to be so close six days before. Are there any areas in which you're betraying the Lord? And my prayer is, if, if the answer is yes, <laughs> my prayer is that, one, he already knows and the invitation is come out of hiding. And if you confess your sin, he's faithful to not only forgive you, but to deliver you from whatever it is. And there has, there's no guilt or shame in that. Sound good? Let me pray for us and then we'll continue to worship. Jesus, we're so uh, grateful that you are who you say you are. You are who you said you were. That you're not only um, a good God, but you're a great God. That you are magnificent. That you're the king of majesty. Lord, I just ask that you would forgive us of all the times in which we've ignored your holiness your sovereignty, your authority, your, your greatness. Lord, forgive us of the times where maybe we've
been more infatuated with the Kardashians or some celebrity in our culture or in our town or on social media. Forgive us of any times in which we've been more infatuated with some other celebrity and not you. Lord, we hear you calling us to serve you, to be with you, to pour out our worship and our affection on you, to just say, Jesus, we love you. And Lord, if there's any areas in our heart in which we're not clean, help us. Lord, we know that it's your kindness that draws us to repentance. Just that you would overwhelm us with your mercy and your kindness. We do confess that you are a good, good, good Father. Jesus, you are the best, Lord. And Spirit, we thank you for being holy and gentle and kind. We need your help. It's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen.